Welcome to Quadraphonic Podcast, hosted by Al Croft and Dwayne Boyd. Able-bodied is a temporary situation for everyone. Quadraphonic shines a light on issues faced by folks with different levels of ability navigating the live music scene. Quadraphonic episode three. And today we have a wonderful guest that Dwayne and I were able to meet this summer. Dix sitting in the ADA section near the deaf community. Guest, would you like to introduce yourself to our audience? Sure. Hi, everybody. My name is Claire Lombardo Miller, and I am an American Sign Language English interpreter. Excellent. And I am Al's cohort and partner in crime, Dwayne Boyd. And I am Quadraphonic Al Croft. All right. So, Claire, um, you and I had a chance to meet out at Dick's, and it was really interesting talking to you. And I'm very glad that you accepted our invitation um, because, you know, the deaf community is one that is often overlooked uh, or people see what you guys are doing and they're like, wow, they're really jamming out down there. <laughs> What's up? So I'm glad I, I got a chance to talk to you. And uh, please tell us, you know, how you got started, why you're interested in this, and, you know, um, what, what makes you do what you do? So a lot of interpreters start, you know, they start young. They find an interest in American Sign Language or the deaf community, and they go and they major in sign language interpreting for college, they get a degree, they they do some training, and they, they make their oh, way cool. up the ladder to getting certified, etc. You know, and that, that can be a very long process. Um, some interpreters like Donnie, whom you met at Dix, actually has deaf parents. So he was signing as a first language and came into interpreting actually not as his first career. Now he is a career interpreter, but he started off doing other things. I actually started off as an educator, as a K-5 educator. My original training is in being a kindergarten teacher. Incredible. Um, I had no connection to the deaf community at all. I went to Smith College. I thought I was going to be a high school English teacher and then a kindergarten teacher. And I always took a great interest in languages. And I did take a, two sign language classes at Smith with um, a deaf woman named Ruth Moore, who's really kind of the pillar of the Western Mass deaf community. She's still kicking around, you know, a, a senior citizen who still is full of spice and all sorts of great things. And I believe she's still teaching ASL out there. And she was my first teacher. And of course, it was very simple. ASL 1, ASL 2. 1.2, you know, very simple stuff. And I never really thought anything of it. And then I went to BU to get my master's. And, and right before I graduated, I saw a poster on one of my professor's doors saying that a school for the deaf was looking for an educator. I'm actually a speech and language pathologist by trade. And I said, you know what, something speaks to me about this little poster on a door. And I'm going to go visit this place. And I went I and I interviewed wow. and it it was it felt like going to a foreign country because everyone on on the campus of the learning center for the deaf which is where i still work 20 years later um everyone signs that's the language that the curriculum is taught in it's the language everybody socializes in it doesn't matter if you're hearing or deaf and it was intimidating as hell as a person coming in there who didn't sign but i felt i just felt that it was a place that i wanted to be and (laughs) <laughs> and well, those first few years, I, I remember I would go home and just say to, to my husband or, or, you know, I just, I need to not look at something for a while. Like my brain and my eyes are so tired. <laughs> it was such a completely new way of learning a language. You know, but it sounds like you did connect to that organization and that's cool 
like you did the fish community and the deaf community you were there. Exactly. So I started off there as an educator and making a lot of mistakes, learning about a new culture that has a history of really deep oppression. Um, for many, many, many years, hundreds of years, people have tried to eliminate deaf people. They've tried to eliminate sign language. Um, even still, there are efforts to eliminate deafness through genetic modification and things like that. So as a hearing person coming into that space, you have to be really aware of your role and really aware of the fact that you are constantly learning and you develop a really thick skin and hopefully a really good ability to learn from your mistakes and be taught by the members of the community. So after being there for about 12 years, I had cranked out a couple of children of my own, and um, I decided, you know, I feel like I know the language well enough now to become an interpreter. It was something I had always been interested in, and I knew a network of interpreters through working at the school, and the director of interpreting at that time was Donnie Gibbons, and I had seen him around uh, interpreting concerts in the area. I knew that he went around with Dead & Company, and I knew he was the person to contact, and I I went to a Jack White show in the bleachers at Fenway Park and I saw him interpreting and I was like, you know what, I just have to ask if he'll be my mentor. I just have to ask if he thinks I could cut this. And I texted him and or I emailed him. I didn't even have his number. And he emailed me right back and said, absolutely. Let me let me help you get involved. I'll be one of your mentors. And so it was a non-traditional path for sure. So I learned through the community. I learned through a series of mentors. I had a mentor through the Massachusetts Commission for the <laughs> Hearing. And I also had a deaf mentor who herself was a deaf interpreter. So I had three different mentors to kind of get my hands wet and, and learn. And I'm definitely still learning. I've been an interpreter for about seven years, but I did start doing a lot of performance work. So yeah, really great. And I've been a fish fan since 1994. So it was a while before I interpreted fish because that is not something you want to do out of the gate. <laughs> it's like do a couple pop shows first and you know, things that might be a little bit easier, get used to being watched and get used to the concert vibe and working in that kind of an environment and kind of learn the logistical ropes. And I started doing fish a handful of years ago. And now it's the bulk of what I do every year for performance work. One of, one of the most beautiful moments that endeared me to you when I met you out of Dix is when I asked you, what's it like to interpret a fish song? And you had this wonderful answer for me about how you don't do a word for word. No. And it, it was, it really, it sticks with me today. Oh, cool. I wish I knew yeah. what I said. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it's just, you, you went into more of like interpretation of the feeling and the vibe. And you're, you're trying to describe the situation more than, trying to piece together nonsensical lyrics. Yes, exactly. So I think people hear a song like Reba or a song, you know, a song that's a million miles an hour. A lot of the fish lyrics don't make sense. They're not made to make sense. Um, but then you have songs that absolutely do tell a story like Esther tells a story, right. you know? So there are definitely songs where you want to put forth that kind of nonsensical quirkiness and so the interpretation doesn't make much sense because the English doesn't either. And that's, that's equal access, you know, well, everyone's kind of like, what does that mean? <laughs> you part know, of how, part of how I explain that to people that ask me about fish, like, dude, this is so stupid. How can you listen to it? It's fish kind of, they use their lyrics as another sound component to complement an instrumental line. I love that. I love and that. Exactly. And I want to say, Claire, that I really enjoyed you sharing with us about interpreting those fish songs that don't have lyrics. It's just a long groove. It's a long tube. Whatever it is, you just rock it out. Yeah, people people sometimes ask, what do you do when they decide to do like a 48-minute Ruby Waves? <laughs> like, what do you do? Um, you know, one of the most important things that we do as interpreters 
um, that I hope we, we do as interpreters is to have what is often called minimum impact. So we're there to convey the emotion, the tone, the deep meaning of lyrics as we in interpret them in the moment. But also we don't want to pull away from the performers. We don't want to pull away from the light show. We don't want to pull away from that guitar solo or whatever, the, the trampoline jumping on stage. Like we're not a substitute for any of that. And as much as people, you know, definitely love to watch us and say that we add to the show, I think that's wonderful. But something that I don't particularly do when I am faced with a really long jam or even even just like a two or three minute jam is you don't see me air guitaring or um, like trying to show a lot of the instruments on my hands. For me, that's a moment for the deaf folks to observe the crowd, to look at the stage, to enjoy the lights, to enjoy the vibrations. If there's like a, a tease, like, oh my gosh, we hear, do you hear cities in this? Uh, we'll tell the deaf people, like, I'm pretty sure I hear cities going on right now. So they can see that fish plays with stuff and that they're geniuses in that way. And you don't want that to get missed. And so sometimes you'll see Donnie and I'd be like, do you hear that? I'll be like, no, it's this. And like the deaf people can see us go back and forth, like what we think the teasers <laughs> are. And then the deaf folks are like, oh, really, really? Oh, that's so cool. So you debate just like we do. Yeah, exactly. And but that's we'll, awesome. we'll do it in sign because of course that needs to be accessible to the folks who are watching us to get those little fish fish nuggets you know <laughs> it's it's so awesome because yeah one of the other guys that um i've been to a bunch of my shows with we're constantly oh did you hear that did you hear that are they going to do eminence front tonight oh my Come god on, eminence front you know we, we've been pulling for that for like three years at dicks because they tease it often they're such and they've never dropped it <laughs> they come so close and you're like it's going to be the next song and then it's like but you know that that means it's not going to be the next song because <laughs> like, that would be too easy <laughs> but it, it's it's fun to kind of interplay and just kind of to kind of just sit back and let the the stage performance be its thing during those jams and of course of course we're going to dance and we're going to have a good time during those times. And that also will show the beat, too, of the music, too. But at that point, the focus is not on us. We want the, the deaf folks to watch the crowd and just be there like everybody else is enjoying a long jam. Or, you know, not their song, go use the bathroom. <laughs> this might be your bathroom break, you know. <laughs> Absolutely. Are there any specific songs or do you have favorites to express to the deaf community? That's a tough question because I think for me, my favorite song can change. Like, oh, I feel like I really nailed that one. That's my new favorite. <laughs> um, but there are a few that I really like to do. I really like to do Birds of a Feather um, because the imagery is really fun to convey. Um, and then I, I do really like to do Reba because it's nonsensical and because you get a chance to use a lot of gesture. You're not going to fingerspell a lot of those weird words. You're going to gesture like her making this concoction in the tub and stirring it with a huge spoon. And uh, I, I saw I, an interpreter's worst nightmare is ending up on like lots of social media because sometimes you can get torn apart. Right. So there was a video of me on Reddit and it was during Reba and it was just the very end where she's stirring everything up and saying, you know, this is, this is the best, you know, I've, I've made the best concoction kind of thing is usually how I sign it. And someone said, I don't know what she's signing, but I know this is Reba because I saw her stirring something with a huge spoon. And I was like, okay, that means that it was, it was clear. So that's my favorite song now. <laughs> that's cool. That's cool. It works. It works. But I do love doing Sigma Oasis. I think that song is really beautiful. Even if it's not my favorite song to listen to, I might really like interpreting it or vice versa. Yeah, that That's something I never even really thought of is like interpretation versus the personal taste of listening to it. Because, okay. I mean, you'll have certain elements of a song that really like maybe turn you on personally. Mm -hmm. But like as far as conveying uh, uh message or a soundscape or something it's wow I, the juxtaposition on that blows my mind just yeah. and sometimes there's a happy collision where i love the songs and i love interpreting them pretty much anything from ghosts of the forest i love to listen to and i love to interpret well that i think trey has hit like a a grown-up phase that a lot of the community is coming to terms with mm. There are some that, some that are like, you know, Trey's just going off the map. Like, where is he? 
And then some people are like, oh yeah, this is the stuff we've been waiting for for years. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's just, yeah, he's reached a maturity level that is just, it's really cool. I have to agree completely. And, and it's really wonderful as a fish fan, you know, hearing or deaf interpreter or not just to be like, okay, this is so nineties fish. This is so current Trey solo. This is so like just the eras of fish throughout the years and how you can visit all of those eras in one show sometimes is it's, it keeps it from, it's never, ever going to be boring. And even if, you know, these last few years, they have more repetitions in some of their set lists, but they always surprise you with where they take it. And they always surprise you with a couple little surprises in every show that you never walk out being like, well, that wasn't a great show. Like, I've never walked out feeling like that. That's awesome. Al, uh, as far as um, that goes, I mean, what what's your, what's your feeling on that? As far as, like... Um, you know, visiting Eris during shows, I definitely saw that night three when we met these guys. Night night three, I mean, we went from a, a no quarter to Donnie giving me a nod going, we just got an F and fee. No, that was crazy. <laughs> so, so, Al, like, um, what's your take on that? I just thought it was amazing getting to know Donnie and to getting to know Claire during that epic night. Um, and I was really amazed not only to meet the interpreters, but you and I spent time with the their audience, their deaf community. And seeing them enjoy the show so much, getting so much from it, that was fantastic too. It brought a new experience to my life. Because to be honest with you, I haven't met very many non-hearing people and it was not only great to meet them but it was great to see them experience music something i'm passionate about and they are as well so there's much more that connects us that that divides us and that's something that we really wanted to highlight on quadraphonic funny story for me i i don't know if the same thing happened to you al but as soon as we hit the platform down there i get looked up and down by one of the deaf patrons and she just, she's kind of like, what are you doing here? Like, I've never seen you before. Like, what are you doing here? And I I had to earn my spot. And I was like, I promise you, we're going to be friends by set break. (laughs) And you were, I bet. And we were, it was cool. We, um, she actually, she took a picture of me and she showed it to me on night four. She's like, that's you. Yeah, it was really neat. And she caught a picture of me just looking at the lights, and I was just awestruck. She's like, "That, that's you." Nice. That's also because that's also because Dwayne, you and I never made down to the field ADA dicks before too. So Mm -hmm. that's why we're new to the community, new to the platform. Right. We never made it down there. That was our first year up on that that side platform as well usually we're in the front page side and you know be it as it may the powers that be at dicks did move us over and say this is where interpreting takes place now for all shows the fish included this is where you're going to be and we did try for quite a long time to go back to our original location so the deaf folks had better sight lines and better access to facial expressions and body language of the band and be a little bit closer to the speakers but this was where we ended up, um, despite you know our best efforts to get moved closer. But it ended up being a really happy occurrence to get to meet folks like you and and have more people get to intermingle and meet one another and have a wonderful time. And and I think that that deaf patron who was asking you like who are you? I haven't met you before. We definitely have encountered you know people trying to encroach into the deaf space who are not sign language users or not deaf yeah. because they want to get close. Sometimes deaf folks get prime seating and um, we've had some imposters in the past and um, the deaf community is also, they're tight, you know? And if, and, yeah. if, if you're new to the scene, they're going to be like, who are you? Where are you from? How'd you learn sign language? What schools you go to? <clears throat> what schools did Whoa. you go to? That's kind of like the initial questions that when a deaf person meets you to kind of like, 
No, size you say, up. Yeah, it's kind of like to size you up. Like, are you going to be an ally to me? Are we going to be able to communicate well? Um, are we going to be able to stand side by side at the show and enjoy sharing space? Um, I don't want to call it gatekeeping, but I think it is a it's it's a cultural check in. It is in a sense because it was it was really endearing because um, I think on night four, if I'm not mistaken, I don't have the set list in my head, but um, the original woman that was sizing me up, if you will, um, one of her friends who um, was enhanced by extracurriculars, we'll say, um, really, really sensed somehow that I needed a hug during Life Beyond a Dream. And she just came up behind me and gave me this huge bear hug. And we just hugged through the whole song. Oh. And it was really cool. It was just really, it was it was very warm and really nice. And I was just like, this is cool. I'm, I, I made it. Oh. <laughs> you know, they like me. <laughs> well, that's, you know, that's a fish family thing. And yeah, yeah it totally that, is. That, you know, and, and deaf community as a culture, they use a lot of touch. Um, yeah. And so it, a very different sense of, of bodily boundaries and, than hearing people. Um, so, mm. you know, to get a deaf person's attention, you will tap their shoulder, you know. So making touch with the body is is not something that is as squee, you know, Ooh, as it can be. Yeah, for well, people. So giving the, a hug is totally, that's very deaf. One of the things that was very cool on night three that I, I will remember, um, I'm just so used to turning to anyone at set break. And you want to talk to them about what you just saw and get their impressions. So I, tur I turned to a woman that I met and we started talking, but I don't know if the light wasn't right and she couldn't read my lips very well. So she was having a lot of trouble. So she just grabbed my phone mm -hmm. and started typing in my phone. Problem solved. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I was like, that was genius. I, I wouldn't have thought of that. I had a similar texting experience with one of our new friends on night three. And that was during the second set when they played Thunderhead, which I thought was amazing. And so did my new friend. Yeah, little things. Yeah, little things. And, you know, again, I can't speak for deaf people, but what I have observed and what I have been told by, by deaf friends and mentors is when you have a non-signing person show even the, the smallest amount of effort to communicate and connect as human beings, it's going to go a thousand miles. So just pulling out the phone and, and typing out, you know, that was an incredible first set. They'll write you back and, and you can set off a relationship, you know, a conversation right there just from that little bit of effort. And, you know, used to be carry around your, your pad and pen. And now we all have these little keyboards in our pockets and apps that are perfect for that kind of thing. Just texting back and forth, writing back and forth to each other. Well, I knew it was really going well when uh, they started handing us glow sticks nice. to throw. Like we, we, we were... You know, we were accepted and I have, I have to say, I mean, I've been remiss in my duties. Uh, I have to publicly thank Franca for kicking us the ass and talking us into going down on the floor because she had the floor wristband and we kind of, we kind of weaseled our way in. And I'm so glad we did because it's the whole reason why this whole conversation is happening. Oh, same now. here. It was, it was really a wonderful connection for us too, because usually at venues, um, we are not usually seated on an ADA platform or in an ADA section, we're usually in a separate section. And, and there are various reasons for that in terms of sight lines and proximity. And also there are deaf people, you know, we have deaf uh, spelled with a large D, which means culturally deaf and deaf proud and ASL is your language and you embrace deaf his history and culture and it's a big part of your identity. And then you have little D deaf people who tend to be non-signers who use technology to listen and speak and really assimilate more to the hearing world. So the big D deaf folks, kind of the, the proud deaf, ASL deaf, they don't like to be labeled as disabled or impaired. They see it as a cultural and a linguistic difference where you have- That's really cool. Thank you for making that Yes, it's, it's an important one to know. And then you, you might have um, a deaf person who uses cochlear implants or hearing aids and is not does not consider themselves part of the deaf community. And that is their, their linguistic and cultural choice. And they may call themselves hearing impaired. They may call themselves disabled. They may have very different ways of labeling themselves than the people who are culturally deaf. That's a really 
interesting dis distinction. Uh, <clears throat> you know, it's certainly a, a new to me to hear about the difference between the big D, the capital D deaf community and the little d deaf community. So thank you for sharing that. And I think a lot of our listeners is a new thing to new new concept for them to understand. Yeah, thank you for that shift in perspective. Of course. Getting back to what we were discussing a little bit before recording started, Claire, are there any venues uh, that you particularly find are better for the deaf community to join the show, big D or little D? Uh, yes, big, big or little D. Again, I can't speak for deaf people, but I can say from experience that deaf folks like to, like to be in the front. They like to be in the front where they can have a clear sight line to the band. If they're using an interpreter, you want that interpreter in the sight line without having to turn your neck back and forth to look at the interpreter to the left and then the stage on the right. We call that rubbernecking and it's really uncomfortable to have to do that. You wanna see the interpreter and the stage in one shot. So it's just like watching the show. Imagine like when you're watching TV and you have the interpreter in the corner. It's kind of like right. that. You don't have to look back and forth. It's like, we want to be in the bubble, basically. Um, and they want to be able to be close to the speakers in order to get more vibrotactile um, feedback. You will see, especially in the deaf heads, the, the Grateful Dead deaf community, that a lot of them hold balloons to enhance the vibrotactile sensation coming through you know, to enhance the sound waves. Um, and they want to see the facial expressions of the band and maybe do a little lip reading or just see see the body movements because for them it, their 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 ears are their eyes so the things that hearing people may not think they need to tune into deaf folks are going to tune into to fill the auditory gaps so it's great to be up close and venues that do a really great job of that are the gorge um, we had a really wonderful time at the man this year um, fenway park is incredible uh, the setup at atlantic city is incredible we definitely have had setups that are challenging and where just sometimes the venue does not want to really hear from us. They say, this is where we're putting you and we don't want to talk about it anymore. And we, we really try to front load that with pictures of what is successful. You know, the names of other people in the industry who have had to set up similar zones, you know, reach out to so-and-so at this venue and they can tell you what they do to help facilitate something better here because we're telling you now what your legal obligation is. You, you want to come from us and not angry deaf people at show night who want to have a good time. So we try to front load problems. And sometimes we're at a new place where they, they haven't had deaf patrons before with interpreters. And they're like, we have no idea what to do. And they'll really look to us to help them figure it out, which is a wonderful collaboration. And then we'll have venues that say, we're not used to this, but we're gonna do it ourselves, thank you very much. So we really get the whole kind of range of collaboration or anti-collaboration. <laughs> and there's definitely some places that really excel in making sure that deaf people have an equivalent experience to hearing people. So yeah, the gorgeous, awesome. fantastic. Fenway is fantastic, one thing that your listeners should know about Fenway Park is that they place interpreters in all of their concerts for the Fenway concert series, even if they don't know if deaf folks are attending, which is wonderful because that means just like me or you as a hearing person, if we're like, you know what, I'm going to get off work early today and I'm going to grab this cheap ticket off StubHub because the ticket prices just crashed and I'm going to go to the show tonight. They can do that and know that interpreters are already going to be there. They're already going to have a great section in the front. All they have to do is trade in their ticket and get their wristband, and they're right there. So Sweet. it's it's wonderful. It's really what we wish would be an industry standard. So it's something we try to tell everybody about because it is such a wonderful thing. And you mentioned That's that uh, Dead Company has it in their rider. The Grateful Dead did anyway. Uh, and Fish there's a very not. long Fish does not. So there's a very long history with. Grateful Dead and, you know, the iterations up to Dead and Company and their relationship with the, the deaf community, which are called deaf heads, like deadheads of deaf heads. 
And there's a lot of great information out there. If you Google about the deaf heads, you'll find some great articles. There's one in the New York Times. There's video there uh, showing some of the GD50 show and introducing you to some of the interpreters and some of the deaf heads. That's a great story. Um, but the deaf community has been treasured to a degree, you know, for a long time by, by the Grateful Dead community. And it spanned several decades and is now at the point with Dead & Company that the band says from them that there will be a deaf zone in the front with preferred interpreters who know the dead. You can't just hire random interpreters from an agency and say, well, check, we met our legal obligation. You have to have preferred interpreters who know the music and that they're going to have a designated cordoned off section where they're not going to have people coming into their space and getting in front of them and blocking their view. And this is part of Dead & Company's production, that this is just how it happens. So even if you go to a venue that normally is like, yeah, we'll stick you in the back, good luck, it's not going to happen because the band in this case says this is what it's going to be, period. So that, that's very, very rare. There's very few bands that do that. You've probably seen um, Widespread Panic has a, a delegated interpreter that they often have on stage, Edie Jackson, who is lovely. So they always make sure that Edie is with them um, if they have deaf patrons and she gets on stage placement and she's very loved by the Widespread Panic community. So you do see a couple of bands really embrace um, deaf folks and, and their interpreters. We hope that that can spread a little bit more. Unfortunately, Fish does not do that yet. So we kind of take it on a venue by venue basis. Well, that being said, I think that, you know, having a band that just works it into their practice is that's kind of a dream for any faction of the community that needs, you know, a little extra help. If, if, venues and or bands would would adopt this philosophy because basically i mean it happened with the dead it's it's happening with fish we're we're not getting any younger exactly and part of the mission of quadraphonic is we're trying to pave the way because the more accessible you make the community the better your patrons can follow you as they age exactly so <laughs> no true. yeah so it's it's just something we're we're not trying to blaze a trail we're just trying to make the trail more amenable to people who walk people who crawl people who roll mm -hmm. people who you know may maybe need a helping hand getting down the trail you know or you know folks that might have trouble hearing along the way as well mm -hmm. Yeah, and, I, and I'm really glad that, that you say that because I think what sometimes the people who hold the money in their hands um, see is that, well, how come a deaf person, you know, buys a ticket in this location, but I'm going to put them in the front? You know, that, that ticket costs $400. They didn't buy a $400 ticket. Why would I put them in the front? They bought a $79 ticket. And we say, well, it's not because they're trying to cheat the system. <laughs> this is not something that they asked for. This is, this is who right. they are as a person. And for them to have an equal, an equal experience to everybody else, regardless of their price point, they need to be in the front. You can't ask a deaf person to pay four or $500 for every show so they can be in the front, just so they can have the same experience as the person who buys the lawn seat. So right. it's, it's something that we have to educate and re-educate places on often is, well, why, why am I going to quote unquote upgrade them? So hearing people will see it as an upgrade. And we say, this is not an upgrade. This is to make a level playing field. So that's I think you just, you just hit the nail on the head. Mm -hmm. You just totally hit the nail on the head with the level playing field because an obstacle that is, you know, seems non-existent for one is a huge hill to climb for somebody else. Mm, exactly. And unfortunately, you know, venues, they, they want to think in dollars and cents. They want to feel like they're not being manipulated, you know, things or tricked. And it's just a matter of teaching them. You are not being tricked. You are being accessible. And those are really different things. And I, I had my hip replaced in November and I was on a walker and on crutches and on a cane. And I had a very small taste of what it was like to not be able to get into buildings easily or be able to climb stairs to 
Mm -hmm. Oh, I have to go all the way around to get to a freaking elevator and wait in line for 25 minutes. I had just the slightest taste of what that was like. And it was incredible. How are you feeling now? It was incredibly humbling to me. Now I'm I'm doing really well. I'm up and about. I, I'm the bulk of my recovery is in my past, but I awesome. I definitely I, I you know I come from a very able-bodied perspective in my life. Even as someone who serves the deaf community, it's very mm-hmm. easy to take you take for granted some of those things. And even just having those couple of months where I was differently mobile really made me. Th- think pretty hard about the other side of, of the disability community. I normally so focused on the deaf side of things. I just want to make sure you can still dance. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. Absolutely. Of course, but, you know, I'm just th- th- <laughs> thank you for, thank you for being so candid about that because you know, it, it is for somebody to realize that perspective, even for a few minutes, you know, it, it can be life changing for some, and for you for you to take a moment to acknowledge that is, you know, it's big. Absolutely, I, I and I thought of, of you quite a bit. You know, I remember thinking meeting you at Dick's and seeing you on the plane. Saw you on the plane. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was an interesting morning because I had a situation where I lost my crutches. Oh, that's right. On, on on the side of the highway, and I had to. <laughs> I, that's a story for another day. But uh, that being said, I had to Spider-Man to my seat and actually at the gate, they relocated us to, you know, just on the other side of first class. It was funny because my, my friend Jess that I was flying with was maybe they're going to put us in first class. Maybe they're going to put us in first class. Like, eh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. You got to take those perks. <laughs> it's too much of an upgrade. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Way to bring it home now, because it's not an upgrade; it's accessibility. Damn it! Those words came right back to bite us. <laughs> well played, my friend. I'm well a played. man of few words, but when they come out, they come out at the right time. <laughs> yeah, man. That that's uh, that's your strong point, my friend. Is you know how to bring the hammer when we need it. <laughs> Well, Claire, I know we met you at Dick's, the ADA section, and by your community. Are there any special other, are there any other bands that you work with, or is Fish the predominant band that you're working with? Well, Fish definitely dominates my summer, Uh, that's for sure, Um, gladly. I don't know what's going to happen this year if they do this rumored MSG run, I don't know, but typically... I spend a lot of time with fish in the summer and I love that, but I also spend a lot of time at Fenway doing their concert series or Gillette doing their concert series. I've been very fortunate um, to be able to work for lots and lots of different bands and artists kind of throughout the genre. I do, I do have genres that I lean toward and some that I avoid. Um, I definitely am more of a, a rock metal classic rock. Um, I'll do a pop show. If you really need coverage for a country show, I can make it happen. Um, But I do try to stay away from rap and R&B. They're just not my genres. I don't think I can do them justice. I don't think I'm a cultural or a racial match for those genres. So it's better for me to uh, stick with the music that I enjoy personally and the music that I think I can do justice to for the band and, and for the deaf fans. So I've been lucky to see and interpret for some real legends um in the past you know paul mccartney and elton john and things like that and then some of the smaller you know up-and-coming artists and then seeing where they go over time being like oh i remember interpreting for them at the sinclair you know holds 500 people and now here they are at this place you know so it's 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 cool and i also do some theater as well so some actual you know musicals and things like that so all right all right well, having spent a couple of shows with you, you do do those, uh, serve those we audiences try. as well. <laughs> we we try, you know, I think people, people tend to put a lot of the focus on the interpreter because we're the visible ones. We're standing there flapping our arms around and dancing and, and we we're doing more than flapping, come on. <laughs> when we make fun of ourselves, we say we're flapping our arms. <laughs> Some of us are more flappy and have bigger wingspans than others. Um, but, you know, people will come up to us and notice us and sometimes give us a lot of attention. And we always want to say, you know, we're just here doing a job. We're just here serving the community. We're not here to get discovered. 
or end up on, you know, YouTube or end up getting interviewed or anything like that or, or making money and becoming famous. Like that, that's not our intention. But here you are. <laughs> Being we are for educational purposes. <laughs> of course. We are an educational podcast. Yeah. We're not having any fun at all. This is so academic. But you know, we want we want people to also realize, well, why are we here? You know, the interpreters are here because deaf people are here. And then people say, What do you mean there's deaf people here? Deaf people go to concerts? Well, yeah, I'm not just standing here for myself. There's deaf people here. And and I think it's all excuse me while I laugh out loud. Like, come well, on. Well, some of those people deaf are people like music too. Some of those people have had extracurricular as you call it, their mm, activities yeah. before during the show. And sometimes we get some interesting questions, but um, generally people will say, Oh, there's deaf folks here. I didn't think deaf people liked music. And it, I think what people sometimes don't understand is that some deaf people hear nothing at all. And they don't use any technology to hear any sounds. They don't use cochlear implants or hearing aids. They don't use anything. And then you have deaf people who can hear a lot. They might only be deaf in one ear. They might use technology. They might just be hard of hearing and they might access a lot of sound without using an interpreter, but they look to us occasionally to fill in some gaps. Um, if the band starts to talk and they can't predict what they're going to say, they'll look at us. So deaf people have a whole range of, of hearing levels and a whole different range of how they use the interpreter. So I think people people think, wow, I don't, I didn't think deaf people like music. Some deaf people hate music. They're like, I don't care. And then there's many, many deaf people who love music and they love the concert scene because it's not just auditory. It's it's visual. It's tactile. It's it's everything. It's the vibe. It's the people. It's it's the spirit. And you don't have to hear for that. It's a it's a give and take of energy too. I mean. Mm -hmm. Basically, it's the whole give and take for me, and it's you know it's an indescribable feeling when you're part of that collective rush. I mean, when the when the lights go down and you know it's on. Exactly. Look out. Well said. Well said. I just wanted to make sure that we thank you on there. All the recording for being here, Claire. It's been an absolute pleasure learning about the big D and little D deaf community. And you taught us and our audience so much. Thank you. We really appreciate it. And we'll see you next time at Dick's or on the East Coast somewhere. Thank you. It's been a real pleasure. Anytime you want to talk fish or talk interpreting, let me know. Thanks so Will much, do. Claire. This was great. Thank you. All right. So uh, I'm going to do an introduction for some music as per... Uh, each quadraphonic episode, we like to have our guests choose some music that they like, and Claire chose a version of Gogi Apparatus from The Gorge that was played by Fish on August 27th, 2021. This version was recorded by Eric Wilkins. And moments ago, Claire shared her story with us about Gogi. And if you're interested in seeing it captured, we have a link to the Reddit, which will be on our Quadraphonic Podcast Instagram. Claire also chose Driftwire Sleeping from Dix9422, recorded by Z-Man. As always, you can reach out to us on our Instagram page, Quadraphonic Podcasts, or you can email us directly at quadraphonicpodcast at yahoo.com. Enjoy the tunes.
lot, we get quadraphonic. This episode of Quadraphonic was produced by Al Croft, Dwayne Boyd, and Aliza Aleshant. Special thanks go out to Don Polson for the quadraphonic graphic and Dan Cormier, composer of the quadraphonic funk theme. Thanks for listening. 